0: And welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel Multiverse. I'm Jake Hill.
1: And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week we're discussing long comic book runs and what makes them special.
0: Excelsior. So, yeah, I was thinking about how people are often lamenting the death of the long comic book run And um, how they seem so rare today to get a long comic book run. But before we can even get into that, Elias, I was wondering if you could uh, tell our listeners how you would define a run in comics.
1: It's a hard thing to define because kind of like how many, many years ago the Supreme Court said that they know (laughs) pornography when they see it. Yeah, That's what I feel like when I see a comic book run. I just know it when I see it. But often, as I'm thinking about it, I, th- I think the comic book runs tend to be defined by their writers. It's a writer or a team that has lasted on a singular title or potentially across multiple titles. But we'll probably get to that uh, over many years uh, and has lasted with it a long time. Kind of like... How one might say Dan Slott had a 10-year run, even though he was not consistently on that book over those 10 years.
0: Right, because uh, it started off he was one of a couple of writers, and then he was the one who stuck around. But every so often, a couple of those original writers would come in and substitute in for him for sometimes long stretches of issues, sometimes for months. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all considered the Dan Slott run because he was the most consistent present.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: But yes, yeah, so like a run of issues is just a number of consecutive issues, usually in a series, but even that gets kind of complicated, and they're yeah. usually by the same author, but this is kind of why I think it's an interesting question, because like, there could be a run defined by an artist, it's just uh, less likely because of how much longer it takes to draw a modern comic book than it does to write a script.
1: Yeah, and often artists are the ones that are either pulled from or leave a book before a writer does, because... A writer can, depending on who they are, bang out ten scripts a month, and that's like on the high end. That's like Bendis, Jeff, uh, Jeff Lemire, and uh, Charles Soule. Oh, god, and yeah, and Charles Soule, like really prolific writers. Uh, and then others, you've got like Dan Slott, who gets maybe one a month, maybe one script in. Yeah. Well, no, he maybe. was doing, He Sometimes. was definitely
0: he was doing Iron Man and Fantastic Four uh, together recently, and he was. Um... Mm.
1: Yeah, but he needed a co-writer on both books to keep him. You remember those those delays on Silver Surfer,
0: right? Yeah, and he was doing Silver Surfer while he was doing Spider-Man, and Silver Surfer seemed like more of the passion project, yeah, than Spider-Man, which he would had been on for ten years at that point. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, mainly I would just I would be, guess I'd be interested. There's been kind of experiments where they've tried to uh, base a run around an artist. Like, do you remember when there was that Black Widow series that uh, was by Chris Samney... And uh, Mark Wade and Samney's name always went first, even though mm-hmm. Marvel usually lists their writers before their artists. Yeah. Um, I feel like they were trying to do a thing there, but kind of petered out because again, it's just it's it's like a, it's like a sport almost. It's, it's really uh, drawing can be really physical.
1: Yeah, it, it's pretty grueling. <laughs> there's, there's a reason why uh, artists often have to take longer breaks and why double shipping is anathema to them.
0: Well, I'm thinking specifically now of uh, Jamie McKelvey, who his um, he's a pretty, was a pretty prolific artist, and he had some serious health problems. He has joint problems now uh, due to his drawing so much. Yeah, uh, and he took. I mean, it's... he used this year of COVID to take a year off from drawing, but he's got another book that he's writing and drawing coming out soon with Matt Wilson.
1: That'll be fun. I'm I so don't excited. remember the title.
0: <laughs> I can't remember the title either. Off the top the, of my the, head, the,
1: the, the Killing Sea.
0: Uh, something like that. The Killing Skies, maybe. Something like that. It's not a Marvel book, so we don't have to get it right. <laughs> not here, at least. <laughs> not here, at least. But so here's my here's my ultimate question: is um how many how long? So how many issues? Because generally, com- generally comics come out one issue a month, uh, with some exceptions. Mm-hmm. But like a uh, superhero mainstream Marvel books that we're talking about, most of their series is going to be one issue a month, and each issue is an episode, and uh, you get the next episode month by month. So how many issues or months or whatever would you measure it until you would consider it to go from a short run to a long run? Like, what's the threshold here?
1: I think it has to be number of issues mm-hmm. over time. Okay. So if you were to write out an equation. <laughs>
0: yeah, give me your equation.
1: Uh I don't, I don't have a full equation. I, w- I would be like number of issues over time. The very simple one. So like the, it would be, it, I'm trying to think of what the variables would be. <laughs> My science background's shining through, <laughs> but I, I, I think I would say it would have to be at least 25 issues. That's kind of where that cutoff between short and long is. And as soon once you hit 50, it is definitive definitively in long run territory. Uh, yeah, these because, numbers sound right to me. Yeah, because you could have... So this this is at DC. When they did Rebirth, a lot of their books double-shipped. That means they had two issues every month. Greg Rucka was on the Wonder Woman title for 25 issues, uh, starting from the beginning. And But I wouldn't necessarily consider that a long run. I would consider that a substantial run. But I wouldn't consider it long because it was 25 issues over about a year. Uh, a little over a year because it was... Twice month, yeah, twice monthly. Whereas, uh, astonishing X Men, uh, which we will be reading for n- next episode's book club, was 25, 24 to twenty five issues over what four years? Yeah, four years. So that's also i I would consider that a long run, but also it took a long time because it just took a long time. If it was over a normal uh, amount of time, I would consider that. A decent run. I don't know if I would call it long. See,
0: for me, who was getting back into comics in the uh, mid-2000s when
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: George W. Bush was still president, mm-hmm. um, I was really going hard in on Vertigo series, and that was kind of like the cool thing in comics for me at that time. Yep. So there was a lot of the 90s Vertigo series that I was catching up on, like Sandman and Preacher, but there was still ones that were ongoing, like uh, uh, Fables and Why the Last Man. Like, these were the cool series. Yeah, Um, which is funny to say now. I feel like um, they're not as highly regarded as they were at the time, but that's a conversation for another time that I would love to have. But um, and those kind of, I guess, gave rise to the image, the similar creator on image ongoing series, where like it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's one creative team and it's one consistent story. It doesn't spill into any other issues. So it's uh, besides its own. Uh, mm-hmm. Series, right? Because like, why the last man is why the last man number one to number fifty, and that's the series. And Sandman is uh, it gets a little weird later, but it's n- mostly number one to number sixty or so. Um, yeah. And Sweet Tooth, and I'm looking at my shelf right now, and Morning <laughs> Glories.
1: Uh, Morning Glories wasn't Vertigo. No, I, uh, neither was Sweet Tooth Vertigo. I, I was thinking, immigrant. yeah, Sweet Tooth was Vertigo.
0: Oh well, see, it got kind of ambiguous in my head as there was that changeover in style. But my point being that, um. I feel like once you've cleared, my threshold is once you've cleared forty issues, that's officially a oh. long run. Um, and I think twenty five is a good number too. But between twenty five and forty is a little ambiguous to me for the reasons you're saying, because with double shipping and whatnot, you can get twenty five. Yeah, it, you could get a whole twenty five issue series out in a
1: in a year. Yeah. Um, but um, it's hard. It's hard. You say? It's hard. There's, there's not there's no like hard and fast rule for this. Uh, it's kind of like trying to figure out. If something like what's a mini and a maxi series, we kind of we kind of have ideas of that. But
0: (laughs) I want the listeners to know that I really I, I have a huge bug up my butt about this and I freak out. And, and no one else on the site appreciates it, and I want the readers to know that Elias is very nice to me about how crazy I am with what counts as a mini and a maxi.
1: Like he's <laughs> yeah. very patient or with limited. my. Or limited.
0: Yeah, or a limited series. Just I, I hate all these, and I what I like about Jonathan Hickman, or one of the things I like about Jonathan Hickman, is he's always um, exploding the conventions on that. Where he made where House of X and Powers of Ten were two series that were one series, and the fact that they were called two different things. It was a lie because you have to read them alternating from one to the other, except when you have to read them twice in a row with an arcane reading order. Um, but it's a twelve issue series with two different titles in order to like categorize them thematically. And I'm like, whoa, that guy's using the whole buffalo when it comes to uh, comic book
1: medium malarkey. <laughs> it is a lot of malarkey. Um, gotta love, gotta love that.
0: Now a lot of people. Talk about long runs on comic like they're inherently better, and I, I don't want to assume that going in. Like, a, do you do you have a particular affection for longer runs?
1: I do. I think part of what I like about longer runs is that it meant that either Marvel or DC trusted the creators enough to leave them on the book. The creators had enough stories that they wanted to keep telling, and it allows for a creation of a kind of continuity across many years. So you're not constantly wondering, oh, will this next person coming in be bad or good? You kind of know what to expect in terms of quality, even if, you know, a run can vary wildly in quality, depending on on the book, depending on whether or not there is like an artist change. But there, there can be a lot more intentionality to a longer run that isn't there for... Shorter runs, but at the same time, shorter runs can give you some kind of really amazing, small, self-contained stories, especially if those runs are there to help keep a title of not afloat, but keep a title going up in numbers instead of canceling it, starting something new or or it ending. Uh, I appreciate that sometimes about like shorter runs that either are in between or just are. Because this is where uh, you could get into, is a miniseries just a short run? And Marvel loved to do this, where they would have these series that were pitched as they're going to keep going until sales start to flag. But then they cancel it after five, four or five issues before we get one trade. And so we never know if you know the series was actually good or if it was just people weren't feeling up to buy, paying $4 or $5 an issue for the first two or three issues.
0: Right, and... Uh, and that's Or pre-ordering
1: the... three fucking months in advance.
0: Right, they, they canceled the book before uh, the first issue has even been on the stands yet. Um, yeah. But then there's stuff like... So one thing that... So I was thinking of uh, what the classic uh, and the modern, the best modern long runs of comics are. And there's one that sticks out. There's a couple, I guess. But there's one in my mind that sticks out more than any other. And that is the first 50 issues of Ms. Marvel by Willow Wilson. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of different artists it goes through. But uh, Adrian Alfana, right, is the main one?
1: It's Adrian Alfana, Nico Leone, and, Leon, and Takashi Miyazawa. Basically most of the original Runaways artists.
0: Right. And it's those three artists. um, I don't know who has more issues or anything, but it's alternating between them with G. Willow Wilson writing all 50 of those issues. So by our – and it came out over four or five years. By our definition, that's definitely a long run of comics, right? Yeah. But – um, because Jonathan Hickman blew up the Marvel Universe for Secret Wars, um, the numbering resets just arbitrarily in the middle. So you have to read Ms. Marvel like yeah. 1 to 24 <laughs> and then another series of Ms. Marvel num- numbers 1 to 26 or, God. or whatever it is. And I think when you buy it in paperback, the paperbacks are all numbered consecutively as if that interruption doesn't happen.
1: Yes, yes, that is the the case.
0: Alright, I know how this makes you feel, Elias, but for people who might not know, why do you sound so exasperated?
1: Well, I'm a librarian, and so whenever Marvel does this, it makes my life a living hell, (laughs) because you have to figure out how to put these books on the shelf, and it's easy if all of the volume numbers are kind of in order, 1 through 10, 1 through 11, 1 through 3, or whatever, but with Ms. Marvel they, they didn't do this for the for the trades when they went on the shelf. But others did, where they renumbered the volumes. So you've got these two volume ones next to each other and these two volume twos that have nothing to do with each other. And this also happens with a lot of other this happens. The fucking Captain America and Daredevil runs by Ed Brubaker and Wade and Samney, respectively, they are like this with the hard covers. They split, like, three different times, and it's impossible to tell which is the first volume one. I hate it. Yeah, I hate I actually, it so much.
0: I have um, five volumes of Spider-Gwen on my bookshelf, one, two, three, four, five, but... I didn't realize until after purchasing them that they are from two different numberings of the trade paperbacks. So it's not actually a consecutive oh, story man. at all. It jumps. Cause, yeah, because
1: the first volume was a volume zero. Uh,
0: I think I have the zero too, actually. I, I can't see at the angle I'm sitting at. But, um, like, so I have the, the zero and the one from the original series, but then I have the second trade from when they rebooted the numbering, and then the third trade is from the original numbering again.
1: Ugh. This is all, this is all the, the, the first run, not the... The second one.
0: This is from the first two runs, and the third
1: run that you were thinking
0: of is uh, the one that's called uh, Ghost Spider, which I don't have any trades of.
1: Oh, okay. Well, actually, that one also split twice, because it started as Spider Gwen Ghost Spider, and then just became Ghost Spider.
0: Do you have, like, a good inside reason why they do this? I've always heard that um, some executive has claimed that... um, that rebooting the numbering um, boosts sales. But I've looked at the sales numbers, and that's not really true as far as I can tell. I mean, maybe they're privy to secret numbers I don't know
1: about. I mean, that same... I think it was that same executive said that infamous statement back in, like, 2015 that diversity hurts numbers. I'm pretty sure
0: that was, like,
1: 2018. Which 2018? Oh, even worse. Like, that was... Which is... That's not exactly what was said, but that was the gist of the statement, which is a little bit of bullshit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a lot a, of bullshit. it's a lot of bullshit. It's both bullshit morally and factually. He's just a, yeah. he's being an asshole and he's being a racist asshole and hurting his bottom line. So he's achieving yeah. nothing and uh, and giving everything away.
1: Yeah. So I I think that the conventional wisdom is given you number one people will buy it because they think, oh, it's easy. It's easier to get in on uh, because it's not issue 632 or whatever, which would scare away new readers who want to read it from the beginning. But, I mean, I think this is mostly a holdover from the 90s, if we're being totally honest. I think the 90s really hurt the way... Marvel and DC specifically, think about publishing.
0: Um, and... which, which is crazy anecdotally. I used to work at a comic shop, and I had this one customer who I loved. He was a sushi chef, and he would come in every Thursday night with a can of Red Bull that reeked of whiskey. Um, which <laughs> I imagine he was mixing the two, and like not my preference, but like damn if that guy wasn't confident uh, strolling into my comic shop. And he... Um, His whole thing was he hated all this reboot, uh, uh, all these numbers getting reset all the time. So he would Mm -hmm. look for, but he liked Marvel books. So he would go in and he would look for a Marvel book that had um, a number of paperbacks going up into like the teens or something that didn't get the number reset because he knew he could enjoy uh, And he would buy uh, one book a week. And that was like his little treat. He would presumably get really buzzed and drunk on his uh, caffeine and his alcohol. And he would read, like, uh, long runs of X-Factor or Captain America or something as long as there was, like, 14-plus trades in the collection. Wow. Uh, because he knew he just wouldn't have to contend with that or make a mistake. I think he got burned one time. But that was, like, his, his sales patterns were just based on Marvel's publishing bullshit. Like, they had conditioned him to buy uh, a smaller range of books because they kept on dicking around. Huh.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never put much stock in the new number one equals new new boost. I think it just it it ends up serving to alienate readers. Yeah, new and old. I think mostly uh, I think it it just alienates current readers. New readers could theoretically and en- enter on that new number one, uh, especially if you're you know brand new. And I don't want to knock that, uh, but it should be and. This might be a different conversation. It should be up to the comic book store to make new readers feel comfortable and help them find where things start because they are in this situation supposed to be the experts. and so they should be doing that. Now,
0: I'll give you the tales from the comic book shop sometime.
1: Yeah, uh, I know that is not the reality, but
0: uh, not for any like secret there is no but insidious reasons just a. Uh... Yeah, it's as yeah. with all the, it, it, these things, it's complicated. Um, yeah. But we're not just talking about uh, what prevents people from getting into long runs. I kind of wanted to just um, mention I know you're a fan of way, comic books that take full advantage of the medium. Uh, like we were just talking about, how Hickman used the idea of a miniseries to thematically organize his story. Um, mm-hmm. But we're talking about long, long runs. So, do you think are there any particular long runs that stick out at you that the length of it is part of the selling point? Is part of what makes the series so great?
1: Yeah, there, there are definitely a few. Uh, I could, I'm, I'm just gonna list them now. So, yeah, please. Uh, we've got Walter Simonson on Thor. That was one of the first ones I was thinking of. <laughs> um,
0: I think actually that's pro- that's also one of the definitive long runs because it was clear it was so clearly planned. From, uh... and if it
1: wasn't he did a damn good job of making sure it felt that way I-
0: i'm sure he uh, he diverged from his plan sometimes but he uh, there's so many things that show up in the early issues of that that pay off so well at the end and yeah
1: yeah and then we've got louise simonson on new mutants <laughs> uh, i don't remember how long she ran ran on power pack um, um
0: throughout the late 80s have you read either of those
1: no i haven't you just listen classic ones those those are ones that i that i know by reputation and i've wanted to read them but the the simonsons defined marvel for a long time
0: yeah well about Uh, 10 years right from like the mid 80s to the mid 90s
1: yeah and then we've got J. michael Straczynski on spider-man
0: which we talked about at length in a previous episode we talked about
1: at length jason aaron on thor
0: that's the one i was thinking of as like the modern masterpiece of it's an epic story told in an epic way over a zillion issues
1: and and a zillion titles, which is both infuriating and yet he he made it work, which thank goodness.
0: Well, that's the thing, uh, right? Is that um because him writing Thor lasted through so many different uh, movements and editorial offices and just all and events and all these different things. The the story when you go back and read it, it really feels like you're reading ten years of Marvel.
1: Yeah, and it also feels like you're reading. Like different lost tomes. Like you find one, and you're like, "Here's the complete story of this chapter," and then you find another book, and you're like, "Oh, it's the next story," instead of it feeling like, "Oh, this story just kind of was cut at the end and started up again here." Yeah, a, a well planned series instead of uh, someone you reaching the end of of book th- four of of uh, a Song of Ice and Fire and going, "Why the fuck did it end here?"
0: Yeah. And that Thor, I don't know if you have more examples, but that Thor one, I think, is the. if you're interested in reading a long run of, of comics, go find a reading list online. There's many websites that uh, specialize in this very thing. And mm-hmm. uh, just like read all of the Jason Aaron Thor chronologically, and that will show you th- the power in having a long-running comic that um, can, just does things that a miniseries is not equipped to, to do.
1: Yeah, and having great artists that stick with it with the occasional breaks. Yeah, which make which really helps define the run instead of it being a a churn of artists for whatever reason.
0: Well, stuff like uh, there's the big part, there's a big storyline in that where Thor no longer is worthy and he can no longer lift the hammer, and we get a new Thor. Um, but we don't stop following the Odin son, and his adventures are super interesting when he's the unworthy Thor.
1: Yeah, um, All right. and- I'm gonna just list off a few more oh, yeah, long runs real quick. So we we already had Miss Marvel by G. Will Wilson. And then we've got Chris Claremont on X-Men, or I guess X-Men and then... Many titles. So many titles. Peter David on Hulk. Al Ewing on Hulk, which is modern and still going. Still going. Jonathan Hickman on Avengers slash New Avengers. Ed Brubaker on Captain America. And then we've got uh, Ryan North, Erica Henderson, Derek Charm, Clayton Cowles, and Rico Renzi on Squirrel Girl. I list them all because the creative team aside from the change between Henderson and charm and some additional artists that came in on special issues like, uh, Jim Davis, creator of Garfield, he <laughs> contributed to one issue and Carla speed McNeil as well. Uh, it's the same creative team through the entire thing.
0: I didn't even think which is
1: that. wild.
0: I didn't even think a squirrel girl is a long run, but you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's a fabulous long run. Um, I also just want to note that uh, that Claremont run you're talking about is hundreds and hundreds of issues. I've seen people try to do math, and no one ever agrees, but it's hundreds. It's less than a thousand <laughs> by some counts. Um, by
1: some counts?
0: Yeah. Geez, um, Depending on what you oh count as God. X-Men and what you count. Because he wrote a lot of other non-X-Men books that tied into his X-Men stories at the time. Oh. Like uh, he wrote Iron Fist at one point, and uh, he's the one who— and Misty, Misty Knight becomes Jean Grey's college roommate. Okay. Just like whatever Claremont's writing, cars is over with whatever else Claremont is writing, and that's what he's into that month. Um, but the X-Men <laughs> run from when he starts on <laughs> Uncanny X-Men until he uh, abruptly gets muscled out in 1991. So from 1975 to 1991,
1: that's a 17-year run. That's so many years.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, all nearly unparalleled. Um, the other one that I, we, we mentioned, but I just don't want to sell short, is uh, that Dan Slott Spider-Man run is tremendous. <sighs> Because it's like the Jason Aaron Thor run where it's got movements and it's got different uh, little reboots within it because the whole Marvel Universe rebooted. Um, And I guess it gets an asterisk because Jason Aaron wrote every issue of Thor in that and Dan Slott did not write every issue of Spider-Man. But Dan Slott wrote more issues of Spider-Man than anyone, including Stan Lee. Like, no one has written more issues of Spider-Man than Dan Slott. And it says... Uh, its highest highs are not as good as the highest highs of Claremont on X Men, which is like obviously a comic book masterpiece. But like, it's as consistent as Claremont X Men. It's very good for most of it, and Claremont X Men is bad sometimes, and Lost Spider Man is bad sometimes. But like, a lot of the Lost Spider
1: Man is great. I uh... and and Denslow did have to contend with you know all of the the fan hatred from after One More Day. He had to be part of that to assuage everyone's fears. I
0: think it's likely we will read a Dan, Bu- a Dan Slott book for Book Club, and we can talk about the various hatred movements against Dan Slott, of which I am something of a chronicler of.
1: Maybe we'll have to pick uh, Doctor Who, but Marvel.
0: Uh, or I was thinking uh, his She-Hulk run.
1: Oh, I haven't read that. I think that would be interesting.
0: It's aged weirdly. I believe it. It's uh, Yeah, but with the TV show coming out, that's what you're going to say, right?
1: Yeah, I was.
0: Uh, I was hoping we could read something to time with a TV show, and I really like it, even though it's it's aged strangely. I'm not ready to say badly yet, um, but it's, <laughs> not yet. It's got like I would call it a Spice Girls vibe.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and I
1: guess we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah. we'll wait and see. Well, what's what's been some of your favorite recent long runs?
0: Um, I think we met, We went through uh, the best, the best of the best. Um. Oh, not
1: the best. What's your favorite?
0: What's my favorite? Yes. But the Jason Aaron Thor one is the long run that I think does the long run best. Like, it takes most advantage of that. Mm -hmm. I guess the only other thing worth mentioning that we haven't yet, because we talked about stuff like... um, Uh, like Ms. Marvel already and Hickman's runs tend to be very long like his Fantastic Four and they're all excellent
1: yeah Um, and theoretically you could say he's been writing the same thing not the same thing the same run since Fantastic Four even now
0: yeah, although he definitively tried to conclude it with Seeker Wars, so everything, I think I would count X-Men as the second act of Hickman destroying the Marvel
1: Universe again. <laughs> Hickman destroys the Marvel Universe, coming to a comic store in 2025.
0: I really hope someone writes a biography of him and that's what it's called. <laughs> um, but the two other things I would mention are, um, one, uh, Daredevil. Daredevil almost exclusively gets long runs. Um not as long—definitely clear in the 25-issue um, threshold, but most Daredevil runs are 30-issues plus.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think back. I um, can tell you, like, I mean, going back to Going backwards, we've got—
0: Well, going from 2000 forward, we have Brian Michael Bendis had a long run. He was followed up by um, Ed Brubaker. I can't
1: forget Alex Malieve.
0: Right, and Alex he was Malieve. was part of
1: that pretty much the whole time.
0: Um, there was a couple. I think— um. Some of Bendis's other collaborators from other books did some arcs of that too. I have it also mm. on, on my shelf. I've got every Daredevil trade <laughs> from twenty years. Um, Damn, I really like Daredevil. Daredevil, one of my favorite Marvel heroes, which we'll talk about later in the episode. I anticipate.
1: Ooh. Um,
0: but um, yeah, the Bendis run was a long run. The Brubaker run that followed it was a long run. Andy Diggle did a pretty long run, which was probably the weakest of the last twenty years, although not uh, without merit. Um, mm-hmm. And the Wade run is what came out of that. That was uh, like two 25-issue uh, runs with a renumbering in the middle.
1: Um, after I think was... Samny was on that the whole time as well.
0: Yeah, and Samny was on. That was yeah, one of the few consistent ones. Uh, after Wade and Samny was the uh, Charles Soul run. And I don't know how many issues that was, but it has to be more than 30.
1: It, it I think, ran eight to nine trades. I think Secret Wars broke it in the middle. Yeah, there was. A, I think there was the last day's trade. Um, yeah, he was he was definitely that was definitely a long one uh, crossed into over over 40 because I think issue 40 was uh, Wilson Fisk's election.
0: Um, That sounds right. It ran for 28 issues. Then it got renumbered to five ninety five and then it ran from five ninety five to six twelve.
1: Oh, wait. Right. It had the legacy number. Yeah, they
0: did the legacy. numbering, But yeah, that's definitely a uh, long run. Um, And then that got followed up by the Chip Zdarsky run, which is currently ongoing. Uh, And
1: that's almost crossed the 25-issue threshold. So almost there.
0: Yeah, so uh, Daredevil consistently gets long runs. And for the better, I feel like that's one of the strengths of Daredevil and why we remember him as one of the more consistently written Marvel Mm -hmm. characters is because he doesn't get canceled. And when somebody gets to write Daredevil, they get to write a huge Daredevil epic and really put their mark on it.
1: Yeah. There was there was that miniseries in between Soul and Zdarsky by Jed McKay, but that was explicitly a, a miniseries, so right? Um, we won't count it. And then the other thing that would count this counts weirdly,
0: um, but the Ooh. you you know you know how much I love this series because I never fucking shut up about it, uh, <laughs> but. What I call the, uh, what and I, what most people now refer to as the Abnett and Lanning Guardians of the Galaxy run, which actually mm-hmm. starts with Keith Giffen's Annihilation, goes into Abnett and Lanning, which uh, Abnett and Lanning are um, contributors to. They're at the backup features and a lot of the tie-ins. Then uh, Abnett and Lanning ah. take over full-time on Annihilation Conquest. Then Guardians of the Galaxy and Nova spin out of that. War of Kings is is an event with a ton of tie-in miniseries that those two cross over with. And uh, finally, it concludes in uh, Thanos Imperative, uh, which is like one final miniseries. But I have all of the trades of that, and that's like 16 fat, fat, fat trades of content. And I consider all of that to be one epic run because there's a very clear reading order, and you can go through all of that. And it's mostly, but there's a lot of writers who did other issues, even though Abnett and Lenning are the clear architects of the whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely have, like, easily 50 issues that they wrote in that 100-issue run.
1: How did I forget ROM? <laughs>
0: how, do you, how do ROM you is him? a
1: long run at Marvel.
0: Well, I was if we're mentioning older ones, um, I also really love Power Man and Iron Fist from the 70s when it was written by who was then known as uh, Jim Owlsey. Oh, yeah. Now Priest. The, yeah, now he goes by Priest, and in the middle of that he went by Christopher Priest. Um, but the Owls got... run of Power Man and Iron Fist is one of my favorite Marvel comics runs. Uh, the most famous issue of that there's the one part where uh, Luke Cage wants his twenty bucks from Doctor Doom. <laughs> it's kind of turned into an internet meme. <laughs> uh, which is, yes, <laughs> yeah, see, great. I
1: think pre I think Priest exclusively does long runs because he had his Black Panther run and he's got all that stuff at DC. Uh, well, he he did some Spider Man in there too.
0: Yeah, Priest is a real blank check guy. If Priest shows up, he's going to be calling the shots, and he, for some reason he gets what he wants, even though. Um, th- love the dude's work. Don't know much about him personally, uh, but he seems like a real character to, to work with professionally. Yeah. From what I've observed. Um, but I love this, this run from The Seven. It's one of the most high energy, just like imaginative things where every issue you're reading it, and you can't believe someone thought of this. And you can't believe that you didn't think of this. And, you know when you feel those things simultaneously? When you're just yeah. like, what madman yeah. was this and why am I not the madman? <laughs> An Alpine skier with a freeze gun who wants to turn New York into a resort town? What? Yeah, that's just like a one-off issue that I, I, uh, I own in Floppy from the 70s.
1: Okay. Um it's all, all right. stuff,
0: it's all stuff like that. And uh, they, and then they never show up again. And you're just like, where does he. Or, uh, and like, uh, but then there's running jokes like, uh, Luke Cage is constantly at a war with their coffee vending. They have like a vending machine that pours you coffee. And uh, even mm-hmm. though he's got unbreakable skin, it's always burning him. He, he just like can't get the machine to work and it's always trying to kill him. <laughs> and everyone's like, Luke, it's not hard to use a coffee machine. And, and he, Luke just like can't get over it. It always, it's something always else different. A great run. Just a uh, real, uh,. Old school, Bronze Age, funny, imaginative adventure stuff. I love it.
1: I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> How do you follow up on Evil Coffee Machine?
0: I mean, I guess we could follow it up with a commercial break. Well, oh, that works.
1: Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3 cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my my wife. Wife. Bad to end to Dio impressions, This is bad, what the f***? And an in-depth look at DC each week. Join us every Wednesday morning at MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get juergens with us, welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the sweet, sweet advertisements. We don't know what they are ahead of time, so uh, it could be anything from cheap cologne to panels in motion to us. Maybe we'll put an ad for our own show in our show, Showception. Audacious. Well, we have gracefully transitioned, clearly, into our next segment which is one of our favorite recurring segments, Baseline X, which for anyone who is new to the podcast uh, is when Jake and I both rank all of the current X-Men titles or X titles uh, from worst to best, or at least our least favorite to favorite. Uh, And this is including everything starting from House of X Powers of Ten, all the way up to if not the most recent month, the most recent completion of all of the current issues as of the time of recording. So if it seems like we didn't cover something interesting from an issue in between what we're talking about and when you're listening, uh, we probably haven't read it yet.
0: Yeah. Um, And this month there's actually two new series that are getting added into our ultimate ranking. I'm hoping, we're planning on doing this until... Hickman's written a grand series finale for whatever this era is called. And then we'll start fresh or... Or, or
1: retire it completely. Yeah, or seal it in Because stone. at that point, we'll probably be like, at number 52. Yeah. Um, and it'll just be an entire podcast.
0: But there's now 16 uh, series. Yeah. Uh, Running in this, and um, I guess they come with some qualifications that I would like to briefly explain. The first new series is Juggernaut, which I think I'll be talking about a little bit more in the segment. But uh, Juggernaut is, I believe, set to be a mini series.
1: Yes, five
0: issues. A five-issue mini series. Um, and the other new series is <laughs> Ten of Swords. Right. So Ten yeah. of Swords, we uh, Elias and I debated between podcast episodes how to handle this. And what we've decided, so Ten of Swords is the X Men event. We'll be talking about that too. That mm-hmm. um, is starts with a one shot called Ten of Swords Creation. In the middle, there is a uh, interstitial issue called Ten of Swords Stasis, and I believe it ends with Ten of Swords Destruction. Is that correct? <sighs> well, so it's three one shots. We're not counting the three one shots as th- three different series. We're counting the three one shots as. miniseries but we're also going to be counting uh towards the ten of swords ranking every tie-in issue that go into it so a lot of series are going to be having multiple tie-in issues which we'll also be talking about and so those issues are just going to get double counted they count towards the overall quality of their respective series so an issue of excalibur or x factor that's very good is going to up the ranking of those series but it also could up the ranking of ten of swords um that's correct so just like deal with it that's how we (laughs) compromise there was much debating Elias and I give this stuff a lot of thought
1: yeah we we were like how do we do this what do we do because X because 10 of swords is going to be utter bonkers nonsense and Hickman's like oh yeah it's a 22 issue event get fucked
0: right but i will say that for all of hickman's get fucked moxie he puts very there's very clear reading orders mm-hmm. and lists in the back of all of the x comics and um He's way... very fair. Yeah, he's very fair and egalitarian about how he approaches that. You can read everything in order if you want to. And he also, they're color coded. So, you know, there's some series that he thinks are going to be more important overall. There's some series that uh, if you skip them, it won't impact your understanding of everything. Just the, the cl- I appreciate the clarity of this because of all the contentious comic book following issues that we talk about usually.
1: Yeah. I'm really curious how this is going to be collected. I wonder if it's going to be like two big Omnibuy, where it's just Ten of Swords Part One, Ten of Swords Part 2. Or if they're going to be like, oh yeah, here's 22 issues in one volume, have fun.
0: Uh, they're definitely going to do, well, I, yeah, I don't know actually. I think, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be in um, one or two collections though.
1: Yeah, it'll probably either be 11 issues each or 22 in total. Either way, I'm excited to see what's, go- what's coming up. Um, but before we get to that... We got to do our rankings.
0: Yeah. So, um, how do you want to do the rankings this month? You want to?
1: Yeah you you start us off and I'll I'll follow up since you are our resident expert.
0: Are we going back and forth or should I do all my rankings? Yep, back and forth. All right. So we're sixteen books now. My lowest ranked at number sixteen book is Wolverine.
1: Uh, mine's still Fallen Angels.
0: I talked at length last time, but um, just briefly. I think that Fallen Angels has gotten a lot of well-deserved criticism for being a pretty utter failure as a book, but I think that Wolverine is skating by on the strength of having famous and well-liked creators and a famous and well-liked character, but the book is unambitious and as much of a failure as Fallen Angels, and for that, it is below in my ranking, and I can't believe how many people are acting like Wolverine's good. It's a disaster.
1: I have it, yeah. What's your 15? My 15 I Fallen think Angels. I know. <laughs> yeah, my fi- my 15 is Wolverine. That hasn't changed from last time. Uh, I, I still contend that Fallen Angels was a failure in every possible regard, and I thought the ideas were stupid to begin with. So I am enjoying Vampire Wolverine, and I like the art. So it gets a leg up on that Fallen Angels.
0: All fair. I'm kind of uh, making a—I'm intentionally being a little provocative by putting Wolverine <laughs> down there, but just because just I think it's worth mentioning, I I feel strongly about the low quality of Wolverine. In truth, those books are pretty neck and neck for me. Um, My number 14 book is X-Force. Same here. Um, The only thing I want to mention about X-Force quickly is recently there is a story in X-Force where Hank McCoy is arresting every mutant who is Russian.
1: Yep. In
0: kind of a metaphor for police state tactics. And while I agree that those are uh, politics that are worthy of criticism, I find the whole thing unpleasant to read and kind of ham-handed and poorly handled.
1: Yeah, it's it's something. I think uh, let's come back to that.
0: Okay, sure. Uh, your number fourteen.
1: My number fourteen is also X Force.
0: Uh, my number thirteen is X Men, Fantastic Four.
1: We're at the same place there. <laughs>
0: wow, we're uh, we're merging into one being. Uh, my number twelve is a book I know you wanted to talk about this month is New Mutants.
1: Uh, my number twelve is Giant Size. Um, my
0: Giant Size has fallen in my rankings but it's still higher than this
1: what's your number 11
0: my number 11 is a series i do really so now we're moving into territory that i actually like these books a lot new mutants Mm -hmm. is the last one that's a little shaky i sometimes like it i sometimes don't this next book i really like it's juggernaut
1: oh i also have 11 at juggernaut but that's because i'm more lukewarm on it um here's what i wanted to say about juggernaut first of all I love Juggernaut.
0: Juggernaut, underrated villain. Everyone th- remembers him from uh, the cartoon or from the toys or whatever, but Juggernaut is great. He is one of those villains who, um, he shows up, he does bad stuff, but it's a f- at 5 o'clock and it's closing time, he'll go to the bar, and if he sees a guy who he was just beating up while he was on the clock, he'll buy him a beer. Juggernaut is uh, holds no malice. He is a chill dude. He is uh, enthralled by a chaos god, and he's very professional. He's also one of those ambiguously gay characters who uh, I don't know if he was uh, intended to be gay, but he's got a husband, and in the 70s they couldn't be explicit about that. But he and Black Time Cassidy, definitely married. No doubt in my mind about it. Um, and I love their I relationship. They're scumbag husbands, and uh, they're always, they're always <laughs> together, and they're both just like very professional in how they do their villainy, um, and they're kind of lovable losers. And uh, I love the character. And the reason I like this book so, as much as I do, is written by Fabian Nicieza, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Fabian I believe is how you pronounce it, Nicieza?
1: I've never said it aloud.
0: I've heard it said it aloud so many times on other podcasts, and now I am just, like, in so much fear. Uh, but by Fabian Nicieza, who was um, one of the definitive X-Men writers of the early 90s, and probably one of the best X-Men writers of the early 90s, uh, he also wrote... Uh, the Cable and Deadpool series, which in my estimation is the series from which Deadpool got popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and his Juggernaut series that he's writing is penciled by Ron Garney, who I quite like. Um, what impresses me so much is Fabian Nicieza is writing this Juggernaut series, which I don't think anyone was asking for. Um, it, which kind of feels disconnected from the rest of the Don of X stuff. And I, for all those reasons, it seems like a real hard sell. And it's about a juggernaut connecting with, um like, Gen Z street kid who wants to get YouTube famous. And mm-hmm. everything about this sounds like a fucking disaster. Who wants to read about, like, an old boomer Gen X man writing about the relationship between, like, a gruff muscle head lug uh, connecting with a teenage girl who wants to take cell phone videos. It's charming as hell. It feels really fresh. I just can't believe how uh, much he still got it. Nietzsche is just like such a good writer that this thing that on paper I would really recoil from, I think is really fun actually. Hmm. A pleasant read. I was pleasantly surprised.
1: Yeah. I don't generally like uh, Fabian's work. I really didn't like his Nightwing stuff. But uh, never
0: read his DC work. Can't speak to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm also enjoying Juggernaut. It's just not blowing me out of the water. I'm I'm all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it'll ultimately be pretty forget, uh, forgettable. I just love Juggernaut, and I'm impressed with how hard he brought it, considering how much he stacked the deck against himself by again writing about the most annoying thing I can think of, which is an old man writing about a teen who wants to be YouTube famous. Can't think of anything more annoying than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is next in your order? My number ten book is Giant Size X Men. Oh, alright. I've got cable here.
0: Uh, do you want to talk about Giant Size X-Men?
1: Uh once we get to the end of the list.
0: Okay, sure.
1: I figure we'll I figure we'll finish the list and then come back. Um
0: my number nine book is Empire X-Men, the miniseries tie-in.
1: I also have it at number nine.
0: Um, my number eight is Cable, a series I'm still rather enjoying.
1: I have New Mutants there. New Mutants has fallen for me, but it's still I still really enjoyed those early issues, so it's why it's still sitting high up. Okay, and
0: again, once we get into the top ten, uh, solidly, I like all these books. It's not an insult at this point. It's just a, a matter <laughs> of how good. Yeah. So my number seven is another new addition to our list is Ten of Swords. Really? You have it that low? Interesting.
1: Yeah. I've got uh, Hellions here.
0: Um, for me, Hellions is one step above at number six.
1: And this is where I've got your good friend, Marauders.
0: Um, you know, I know that you have a real uh, glitch about this, and I, uh, <laughs> I hope one day you can get well. Um, <laughs> my number five is X-Men.
1: I've got Excalibur at number five.
0: I got Excalibur at number four.
1: I've got X of Swords at number four. Um.
0: At number three, I've got X-Factor, but this is like, now the, we're, the divisions between my top three are so thin at this point, because X-Factor, holy shit.
1: Yeah, I also have it at number three, and um, I, I guess I have to defend my number two.
0: Well, I'm interested. My number two is House of X Powers of Ten.
1: Well, my, no- my number two and number one have pretty much stayed the same this entire time. It's X-Men. Um, and I know you're number one.
0: And my number one is Marauders, a book that has still remains perfect.
1: And then I've got Hox Pox
0: at number one. Respect. I, um, what, what I decided to do with these lists is um, I'm trying to change it up a little bit more freely. I'm not trying to cement it as a final list until they're all over. This is like the month to month rankings. That's why Excalibur for me moved so dramatically from it was number 11, number nine last month on a list. And now it's number four. Mm. So that one moved pretty dramatically.
1: So you're, try- you're trying to keep it just to this current book versus the series as a whole?
0: Oh, I'm trying to consider both, but I'm giving a little bit of more weight to how it's been recently. I think you kind of have to do that for some series like um, like New Mutants that it changes so wildly month to month. Yeah. Or yeah. Excalibur for that re- uh, matter. I, I, I found Excalibur to be um, not inconsistently written, but like – No, 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 the the book itself is really consistent, but I feel like a lot, that what we were talking about last time, the delays really uh, messed with my ability to read and enjoy it. Like, I lost a lot of momentum, but tying into Ten of Swords has really given it a lot more life, which is just my, briefly, my take on why Excalibur is ridden so high. Ten of Swords is really exciting. It's the center of everything, and that's making Excalibur really fresh and relevant, and it doesn't feel like it's turning into wheels at all. It it feels like it's got, like, real
1: real urgency to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. So we got to talk about a couple series.
0: Sure. Where do you want to start? Which one do
1: you want to start with? <laughs> I'd be. I said it first. Dang. Um, let's let's start with giant size. Let's address the giant size elephant in the room.
0: Sure. I. W- w- why don't you start? I don't have that much to say. I don't think.
1: Yeah. Well, because I've got it pretty much. I've got it very low on my list. Where do you have it again? Uh, number twelve or I get, sixteen. I got a ten. Yeah. Giant says. There was all this hype around it, and I know you and Kevin were both really—you loved that first issue, and were—and we both really liked the Nightcrawler, uh, Alan Davis. Oh uh, yeah, love that Alan Davis
0: one is going to be my favorite. Looking back at the series as a whole, uh,
1: but Giant Size as a whole really wasn't that great. It featured some fantastic art, but by the end i was like what was the point of this it didn't have a, a central focus and that i know underneath it all underneath it all the the central focus was storm's been infected what do we do about it but like storm isn't there for the middle three issues she's barely in the first one she has no agency there and even in her issue she shares i i think a third maybe even less of the pages which is ridiculous
0: Yeah, well, I I, I think I I just, that's not the, the main idea isn't a story. The main idea is what if artists were in charge and writers were catering to their whims?
1: Mm, It sounds like Hickman still had a lot of sway over the story, like what happens. And the artist got some wiggle room, but not as much. It's how to tell the story, which I like Hickman's writing. This was not his strongest
0: yeah, I By liked far. it as an experiment. I agree with yeah. you. the reason it, it dropped in my uh, ranking is um, is because the Magneto issue I completely could have taken or leave and leave taken or left.
1: Um, See, I think it, I, I love that issue, but also I think if he hadn't explicitly been like these five issues are tied together and not just been like here's five one shots featuring a character, it'll be fun. Uh, I think I would have enjoyed it
0: more. Yeah, if the Magneto issue was just a random issue of his X-Men series, it would have fit better to me, I think. It also, the um the art felt less showy to me. It felt like less of an art showcase.
1: Ah, uh, uh, I gotcha. It, it just
0: felt like a regular comic issue that was like, a, where nothing important happens. I just like, <laughs> I mean, I like Hickman writing Namor so much that Magneto teaming up with Namor was
1: like, cool, I guess. But Magneto builds a house. I'm sorry, buys a house. Yeah, Magneto buys a house. An it's, island? Yeah, well,
0: all of Magneto's houses are islands. Um I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. I um and then the storm issue was like, We got this great Dodderman art, but like you said, it was a, kind of a not much of a conclusion. Um and what was the fourth and the Phantom X one I really liked. The Phantom X one was like a really fun one shot.
1: Oh, I could have left that. I was so bored.
0: Um a lot of, it was pretty callbacky. I feel like if you read a lot of Phantom X stuff and then you read that issue at the end, you will uh, might be more warm to it. Um,
1: probably this was basically my first introduction to phantom X other than, you know, the general consensus of, Oh, Xavier's back and he's in phantom body. I'm like, all right, cool. It has, it, it means nothing to me.
0: Yeah. Um, If you read the the Grant Morrison X-Men, and then you read Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force, and in the middle there you read Cy Spurrier's X-Club. No, Phantom X, I think he appears in that. Maybe I'm just thinking of Doctor Nemesis. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Phantom X X has been, a lot of writers have liked to use him in weird stuff, and he's been in a lot of weird stuff. And I, I thought that was a fun issue. I thought the art was psychedelic in a way that fit the character really well. Um, I mm-hmm. think we're kinda of talking in circles. I liked the art and it ultimately didn't leave much of an impression, and I think that most of the story stuff is gonna be resolved in a more satisfactory way in Ten of Swords.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Do you wanna talk about Ten of Swords?
1: I do. I I loved that one shot. Or maybe not the the, the kickoff. That was so cool. Also, I so I th- this month I didn't read any of the X Men books. Or the X books until basically the end, so I read them in publication order one right after the other instead of week to week. Sure, and that meant I read X Men followed by X of Ten of Swords. And going from end of chess match with this character who I've, I haven't been saying it aloud here, but also spoilers for Ten of Swords
0: it'll be a couple months and, old at this point we'll be behind in the times
1: but still spoilers for for creation if you have not read it yet uh i feel like we should we should always be like spoilers for whatever books but
0: yeah we're, we you can, can assume be, we will be talking about it
1: yeah uh he the what is it, the summoner
0: yeah the summoners, the pale the kid the
1: summoners uh the pale pale kid with the big big black circle on on his chest i didn't trust him I was right not to trust him. It reminded me of the Black Swans from Hickman's Avengers run.
0: I trusted him. I would have gotten. I would have gotten. Got.
1: Uh, No, I. I mean, I probably also would have gotten. Got, but I was like, something. Something's off about this guy. He's. He's shifty. Shifty and shady. I don't know what it is. I didn't expect full on. Full on big betrayal, but I love the way that plays out, and how well it was hidden. I expected him to just kind of be, like, chaos imp and just, like, stand in the background and be like, oh, I didn't know what would happen, but not, like, really trying to do anything.
0: Ten, Ten of Swords is great. It's um, I talk about so it good. at length in the Mutantversity column, but um, I know that Teeny Howard is a big D&D fan. I assume Hickman's played more than no D&D in his life. <laughs> and um, it just, like, I feel like they were playing taking their favorite parts of different uh, Planescape D&D campaigns and being like, what if the X-Men were my player characters in Planescape? And if that means something to you, then you should be pretty excited because that sounds like a rad comic.
1: And now we can give them swords.
0: Yeah, and just like the swords is cheesy as hell, and I'm glad he's like, you know what's cool is lots of different types of swords. What if one sword was a katana and another sword was a robot who was your best friend? And I'm just like, yeah, bring it
1: on. (laughs) And then what if one sword was a space station?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I got very excited about that. Uh, just a real good first issue. And real good second issue, my number three series, X Factor.
1: I enjoyed the second, that that issue. I did not like it quite as much as the rest of X Factor. Mostly because uh, Carlos Gomez's art, it, I don't know, it, it fit the Ten of Swords material, but i missed baldeon's i missed baldeon's art and i don't know the costuming just felt wrong
0: the the two reasons why that issue of x-factor blew me away so much one is that there's been a couple of different ways that different writers have tried to fuck with the idea of re- of resurrection since mm-hmm. since the idea was introduced and yeah. all of them kind of had me you know I, I would smirk and i'd be like oh that's kind of cool this blew my mind which, oh, yeah. the idea, is, I, I, yeah we were talking about the X Factor number four, explicitly and spoilerifically. Um, if a mutant dies in Otherworld, then th- when they're revived, they will be an amalgam of random versions of themselves from across the multiverse. Essentially meaning that their soul is annihilated and that they are a new being. And the book just starts to get into the philosophical implications of that. And I am, like, floored by high-concept sci-fi shit that – just, like, the fact that Leah Williams, who seems like a real meme lord fun times person, is also doing uh, (laughs) Hickman's sci-fi stuff, like, better than him, is just like, watch (laughs) out. Leah Williams is the real shit. Yeah. And the other thing is then she concludes by doing, like, some, I don't know, some ominous Tolkien-style fantasy poetry.
1: Uh, I don't remember that. Oh, the... In the data page.
0: Uh, Polaris recites it, and then I think Warlock... Oh, yes. Or uh, Cypher translates it, and then it's on the data page, and uh, Cypher tries to, like, uh, understand what it means. But she just, like, writes a very, like, uh, you know, three for the uh, elves and five for the dwarves and one for the dark lord on his dark thorn. how do I
1: identify the, the ten swords well one one glows another is a person another will fuck you up because it's made of souls
0: <laughs> but I, I just loved the poetry just like she was like we're doing a fantasy story I'm gonna write some uh, cheesy fantasy poetry and it ruled it was so cool it sounded like dark wizard shit and it the- was
1: uh, amazing, and I'm surprised Tina Howard didn't put that in her books.
0: I know they're all collaborating, so who knows? Like, who knows where that came from? But I, I assume that it was in Leah's book, so she wrote it. So just like, she had the best sci-fi and the best fantasy in the one issue, and I thought it was so good. And this was coming after they went to Mojo World and did WWE Mutant Wrestling. Just like, what is this amazing book?
1: This book is going to go down uh, as probably one of my favorites, and we're only at issue four.
0: Yeah, Leah Leo, Leo Williams is the real shit.
1: I hope. I was gonna say I hope they give her an event, but
0: how old is she? She's like twenty five. She's got time. But like
1: events, they're so hit or miss at Marvel.
0: Well, who knows what? By the time she's, you know, by the time she's thirty five, which is the age that a lot of people were getting events at, or whatever, she'll have ten years of experience under her belt. She started so young.
1: All right, I'm holding that hope. I don't trust Marvel events.
0: I don't have, I, don't, I trust Leo Williams.
1: That's fair. I tru- I trusted Al Ewing and you saw what we got with Empire. That makes bag. Yeah, I trusted him. I trusted you, uh, Al. I
0: don't think uh, it's fair to say that Al Ewing nah, I, I uh, can, I can, betrayed yeah. your trust.
1: No, I'm, I'm being facetious. Sure. I'm uh, being facetious. I'm, I blame Marvel more. <laughs> I blame um, COVID, actually.
0: <laughs> what else? Uh, do, anything else that's uh, notable for you?
1: On the list, not really. I think we pretty much talked about it. Oh, I. So uh, there were for this batch, the New Mutants issue. Yeah. Jake had read it for last time, and I read it for this time. So one of those times is not going to have a New Mutants issue because the next New Mutants issue from the batch that we just read is part of X uh, Ten of Swords. I keep going X of Swords.
0: I keep th- God. I keep catching myself, but I'm coming <laughs> close. So I. I don't blame you. I, w-
1: I will be the Sin Eater. I'll t- I'll take that on. <laughs> uh, so uh, after reading XS... <laughs> oh, that's horrible. That's
0: yeah, uh, not better.
1: Excuse me. So New Mutants. So one, one of those two months, either last time or this time, doesn't have a new New Mutants. That's just how the cookie crumbles. But it was... That's the issue that kind of got New Mutants to start to fall in my rankings a little bit, because which, it's... which issue? Uh, issue twelve. Where, uh, just, uh,
0: is that the one with uh, where they expose the uh, hate the online? Yeah, record?
1: that's the one where they expose Docs. Docs, as it's called, which yeah. is not as clever as I they guess, think, they think it is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the The whole issue was kind of ham fisted. It was very cathartic, but just because something's cathartic does not make it good necessarily and at the end i was like the message i pulled away from the issue was as you said last time uh very both sidesy and not in a way that made me feel like it felt equivocating instead of being like well here's the reality of how people think
0: i don't know if i felt like it was both sidesy so much i just felt it was kind of flat like um the the villains were so villainous and the solution was so fantastical that I was like, yeah, so what? Like, it didn't feel like much of anything to me. I, I kind of liked that um, Magic hugged Glob. That's the one thing that stuck with me in a positive. Yeah. Just like they had a nice hug. And I liked, you know, Magic, I, I, and I like Magic as being like your cool older sis mentor now. That's like a cool <laughs> role that she's taken on and I'm really into that. Um, she's been flirting with that idea for like the last 15 years of comics and the fact that she's doing it now is great. Um, but when you talk about that, if, if we look back at this issue, it's just going to be one of those issues where a bunch of characters, like, stand around a building and shout about current events. Um, yeah. and, um, it's not like, there's no metaphor, there's no action, it's just kind of like they all stand around and they're like, well, with my superpowers, I'm going to make it so that you can't do your bad thing, and then they're just like, well, now I, we're going to keep doing our bad thing and we hate you, and they, I... I remember reading an issue of um, uh, Peter David's X Factor from um, the mid-2000s, and he's uh, and there's a character mm-hmm. who uh, comes out as Muslim, and I choose those words because that's how it's presented in the issue. And then she's like, well, don't you know that I'm Muslim? And then they just talk about the way Muslim people are being treated in America right now in 2007 or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that's not a worthy thing to talk about in a comic, and that's not to say that uh, it's less relevant now, sadly, than it was then, but just, like, this guy who was writing about experiences that was not his own with a bunch of characters shouting on a rooftop and then being like, I'm really glad we had this talk. I think now we can start a real healing process. Just rings as empty because that didn't start a healing process in real life or this comic. And that's also how I feel about that issue of New Mutants. Yeah. It's...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was... It, it's alright. It is pat.
0: It is, pat is a perfect word for it.
1: All, yeah, all I that think said,
0: Vida has taken over that freaking book. Yeah. So that's going to be that's a real... That's exciting. Yeah, a real turn in tone. I'm real excited to see where that goes. Um, Do we
1: know when Children of the Atom is coming
0: out? It's been kind of delayed and delayed and delayed. The last time I heard a date, it was January or February. Okay. Um, I don't know the reason for the delays. I'm guessing it's it's not a... Uh, creative problem. I'm guessing it's a scheduling problem that, because of the delays, they decided not to make Children of the Atom tie into Ten of Swords directly, and then they decided to give it some uh, breathing room.
1: Yeah, it probably has to do a lot with whatever's going on with Storm.
0: I like the sound and of the that. Temple. I hope you're right.
1: That was that was my impression. So we'll find out. Uh, this the Hickman verse of X Men has a lot have has a lot of pleat spinning at the moment. And any one of them could be picked up in any one of the books. And I really appreciate that.
0: Uh, the one other X book I wanna mention before we end the segment this month mm-hmm. is Hellions. Um Oh, why? Are you caught up with Hellions? Are you having a how are you finding Hellions overall? Just like it's fine?
1: Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's a bunch of you know it's the garbage team <laughs> doing garbage things and they all fight and hate each other and I think that's a very interesting dynamic
0: um i feel so strongly about it for two reasons one is that this character who is i think kind of become the main character and protagonist uh the man we're now calling John gray crow gray crow yeah um is sort of a nothing background villain who is on a team with a lot of other villains mm-hmm. um and but i now yeah i really want to keep reading about this character who's been around for you know since the 80s he's been around a long time this would be like if somebody did a mini series about Fancy Dan from the Enforcers and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And you were just like, "Oh yeah, Fancy Dan is a rich inner life. Give me a Fancy Dan ongoing."
1: <laughs> right, doesn't that sound uh, ridiculous? You talk about this all the time with these with these like random mini series. <laughs> like when we did uh Modox 11. Do I always bring up Fancy Dan? I do love Fancy. No, Dan. no, no, not Fancy Dan, but like random Like, it's the Grant Morrison effect. Take a a random, zealist character that showed up in one issue and make him super important.
0: What's so interesting about the way it happened with Grey Crow, though, is in the marketing for the book, they weren't like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the book that makes you like Grey Crow. They're just like, yeah, he's like one of the guys on the team. But everything that happened with him was some of the... I, I was really drawn to him in this series. I found him, like, really compelling, and I liked his attitude, and I just think he's, like, he's got the stuff.
1: Yeah, and I... The second thing, I don't know if this is the same, but I'm going to go out on a limb, Good is word. with Madeline Pryor. Yeah. Yeah. This was... So I don't know a lot about Madeline Pryor. I asked about her in a previous episode, and we <laughs> won't get into it now. We won't get into it now. Should we do a Madeline but... Pryor
0: episode? Maybe we'll read um, Inferno for Book Club or something. That's a big book. I
1: will have to because it sounds like it's going to be an important event at some point. But the whole thing with Madeline Pryor – is so interesting because here, you know, whenever you've got villain teams, you need an extra villainous villain to be, you know, the the antagonist or they're fighting against, like, the good guys, but the good guys are being douches.
0: And Madeline's That's kind of both. She's, like,
1: yeah, she's been
0: driven so far. She's, like, a good person who is so mistreated that, like, almost nothing she can do would be unreasonable.
1: Yeah, and what she's doing here is, like, it's it feels in your soul as unholy, but as it you, is yeah. And that, but as you read and and listen and and kind of digest the book, it just it's really sad and not in the you know normal oh how sad, but like legitimately. It's like oh my god, this person has been treated so terribly, and she just wants to get back. A sinister in the. You know, the best possible way, which is also the worst possible way, because Sinister's been accepted onto Krakoa, and she's like, no, he doesn't deserve that shit.
0: Right, and so the reason why Hellions is, like, really a contender for me right now for being high up on this list is that – um that f- so it cuts from the adventure to there's been a meeting. You don't get to see the mm-hmm. meeting, and Cyclops comes out and tells his brother Havoc, uh, we voted that Madeline doesn't count as a person and mm-hmm. that conversation is insane and so interesting and I and I feel and like Because it's
1: cy Cyclops.
0: Well, so I feel like the ways you could handle it is the obvious thing to do is show us that conversation. It's really interesting. And I feel like there's a way you could write it where you don't show the conversation and it feels like it's a real cheat hmm. But just leaving so much ambiguous right now um, is so much more powerful than either of those other two options, because I, I, I write this up also in university. So go check it out. But um, he talks about like like I talk about. So Mr. Sinister is obviously gunning really hard that uh, she's like, oh, of course, Madeline's not a person. She's a clone. And I created her. Yeah. Um, And probably Storm is uh, rallying really hard that Madeline is a person because she's, like, a really loving and compassionate person. But how is Jean Grey voting right now? That's Jean Grey has all of – Madeline Pryor is a clone of Jean Grey. And when Madeline died the first time, Jean got all of Madeline's memories. So Jean is Madeline up to a point. But then they diverge again. So just, like, I I don't know what – so, like, philosophically – And how
1: did Scott vote?
0: Well, Scott doesn't get a vote he was just in the room
1: now um, oh you're right he's not on the council he's not on the
0: council but that's even better too why does scott scott just gets to be in the council because, that's such a uh subtle um commentary on the corruption of this scott gets to be in the council because like why not it's scott but alex doesn't get to be in the council because they're just like oh yeah well alex is unstable unlike scott who's really cool and sensible
1: yeah and he has no personal ties to this at all
0: yeah but, like, no, but Jean is talking about whether or not the duplicate of herself counts. And I write about, um, Laura Kinney is out there, and she's a clone of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Gabby Kinney is a clone of Laura Kinney. <laughs> That's a clone of a clone. But if Gabby died, they would resurrect her in seconds, because everyone loves Gabby. This was, like, clearly a personal decision made by those... I anyway, so I break down every vote on the council and how I think they went in yeah. the latest Mutantversity.
1: And I wonder, too, and this is conspiracy mode, what sinister had to do with in all of this. Like how compelling were his arguments and also maybe did he make them more compelling? Cause we have hanging over us the predictions from House of X powers of ten from I think it was the ninth life of Moira where Sinister's breeding pits were corrupted by Sinister. Like he introduced <laughs> stuff and started like, Could have seen like that fucking around. Like what? What did he do? Did he do anything? Could he have? We don't know.
0: Is he cutting a deal with Exodus and and Xavier and Apocalypse? Like and Shaw? yeah, did he just
1: straight up bribe them?
0: Yeah, Shaw would take a bribe.
1: Oh yeah, in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah. So anyway, so I break I break down the votes, and uh, you should you Elias and you the listener should definitely go listen to it. But I just thought that the ambiguity. You mean read
1: it? Can we read it? No, you said you said go go listen to it.
0: Oh yes, it's a thing you read, not a thing you listen. to. <laughs> or find a friend and ask the friend to listen to read it to you, and then you can listen to your friend, and then you'll get both experiences. Um, Ooh! But um, I thought that the not showing that meeting was one of the strongest creative choices that any X Men book did this month, um, and just showing the emotional fallout was so strong, and that was just like one of ama- a million amazing things about that issue. But that was my favorite part.
1: Fantastic! Yeah, I love I love that part. I I. When that scene happened, I was like, "Oh, this is exciting."
0: Um, okay.
1: Last call for X materials. Is there anything X to talk? I think I think I have talked out all of the X stuff for this time. Maybe next time we'll have more. Oh, wait. I pff, there was that giant sized X Men tribute, uh, which I just wanted to mention was cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I read a review of it.
0: I think I gave it eight out of ten, and I yeah,
1: it's not. I mean. If you want to see different artists take on different pages, I think that's a a valuable experiment. Uh, but it's like nothing special. It it is interesting to see modern artists with older writing, especially with a familiar story. Some of those pages, I, could, I oh wow, I hated them.
0: Sure, uh, it's a it's not a good replacement for the original issue, but it's a very cool experiment, and I'm glad I oh, did yeah. it.
1: Same. Yeah, that was it. It has no bearing on any of our rankings because it was just a cool tribute issue.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, like I said, I I felt compelled to review it because I thought it was worth uh, paying attention to. I am now going to introduce our final segment. Um,
1: Ring the bell.
0: Ring the bell. It is time for the uh, Marvel heavyweight world champion book of the world belt, (laughs) um, which is definitely what I've always called it. And I didn't just get lost in the name of it right now.
1: Retcon.
0: Um. And here's how this segment works. Uh, one Marvel series is going to have the belt, is going to be your heavyweight champion, and every month it goes up against all the other Marvel series, and, uh, which are the contenders. Um, they all fight one-on-one. And, you, you, and what we have to do is we have to say, if in our estimation, any book that came out this month was better than that issue that won last month. So my mm-hmm. champion last month, and has been the reigning champion since we've uh, started this segment, is Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky. Um, it's my favorite book. A lot of things are great. Some months I like a single issue a lot, but uh, no, I don't like any of them more than I've liked the Daredevil series so far. Uh, what was your champion? Well, who was your reigning champion last time we checked in, Elias?
1: Last time we checked in, my reigning champion was X Factor, and it has been dethroned for this time. Ooh! Uh, I really liked issue four, but some of the other issues from the other books caught me off guard, and uh, the like I said, Carlos Gomez's art, I did not particularly love it for the issue. And so that dethroned it for this week. X-Factor is still fantastic, but uh, what took it over was yeah. a one-shot. one-shot? That was Immortal Hark, Hulk, The Threshing Place. Oh! Which was by Jeff Lemire and Mike Del Mundo. And I loved this book. Also, I'm not sure if I've been saying Jeff's name right. I can't remember if that, that was the corrected pronunciation or if I'm p- pronouncing it wrong.
0: I believe it's Lemire, not Lemire.
1: Okay, so I have been saying it right. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Immortal Hulk Threshing Place took over, and I think a lot of this comes down to Mike Domundo's art. I haven't seen it in a while, and it just it blew me away. It's a nice, small story. Kind of got the horror of the open fields, the rings in the gamma, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the main the main series, but I love these these additional takes on the you know, Hulk character, and it feels like the very early issues of Al Ewing's run on Immortal Hulk, and I really like that.
0: Absolutely. I um, Mike Del Mundo, I... Like, gun to my head, I think Mike Del Mundo might be my favorite contemporary Marvel artist. Really? Yeah. Not Dowderman. Um, I really like Dowderman. Douterman also, like, uh, has been having such a strong couple of years that's brought him up in my estimation. I was kind of—I was a little late to the Dowderman party for—I
1: uh, know a lot of people have loved him for a long time.
0: I only— He's also
1: been doing mostly covers at this point. He hasn't had a—oh, no, both both him and Del Mundo haven't had a series in about the same amount of time.
0: Del Mundo drew an Electra series that I own and trade that, um— I just loved and I've uh, I read everything that he's on based on. He's uh, amazing. Yeah, I really love, love it. So th- I love this issue too. Um so just to be clear though, now whatever your favorite book is next month, you have to like more than you feel this month uh, for this Del Mundo Lemire book. Yeah. If y- if you read it and you're like, "Wow, that was a uh, really good, but I don't know, that don't Del- that Del Mundo book as even though it's a one-shot, it can continue to uh mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. I mean both Immortal Hulk, She-Hulk and X uh X of ten of swords, ten of swords creation were strong contenders for that top place, but it all came down to the reading order. Um,
0: I should also I should I should mention that um my strongest contender this month was X Factor for all the reasons we discussed for the combination of psychedelic sci-fi and fantasy poetry. Um, mm-hmm. the uh, and uh, all my other contenders were also Hulk books. Uh, Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk is still great. Uh, Immortal She Hulk is that going to be uh? Do you know what, what kind of series that's going to be?
1: No, it was just a one-shot. That was it a was one-shot. The, it was a um, Empire-Fallout uh, tie-in. Uh,
0: that one-shot uh, was a strong contender for me this month. I uh, Jennifer Walters is in my top five favorite Marvel heroes. I love She-Hulk. Um, I haven't liked what they've been doing with her for the last ten years, where they've been making her stories really maudlin and angry um, when I like the Spice Girls version of her better. Um, but... Uh, that was my favorite version of sad and mad uh, She-Hulk that we've <laughs> ever had in that Immortal issue. But I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. You know what? I'm fully not sorry. I'm aggressively not sorry. Daredevil wow. by Chip Zdarsky, still the reigning champion. Hasn't been dethroned. That book is amazing. Everything that was amazing about it, still amazing. What did we add to it? Iron Man. Iron Man. What's Iron Man doing? Uh, He is not doing that Bruce Wayne meme and uh, buying (laughs) buildings. Uh, Daredevil's just like, use your wealth, buy a building, defeat an evil real estate bad guy. And Iron Man's just like, what? But that's really expensive. And Daredevil's like, sucks to be rich, I guess. (laughs) That's uh, your cross to bear. I'm very Catholic. Um, and I loved that whole issue. And then at the end, his ex girlfriend shows up. And how's he gonna like his
1: dead girlfriend or his ex girlfriend?
0: Ex girlfriend. Uh, he's got a lot of ex girlfriends and quite a few dead ones as well. This one's living in, and no longer uh, in a relationship with him. Okay. But uh, Kristen McDuffie from the uh, from the Mark Wade Chris Samney run ah oh. uh, returns and uh, now nice. she's gonna be helping Matt represent him as Daredevil. And she knew that he was Daredevil, but she forgot because of magic reasons and that's super that's like
1: god we, yeah yeah
0: why are we reading comic books if not for oh i erased the world's memory with a magic spell and now my ex-girlfriend who used to know my secret who doesn't know my secret has to work with me professionally just like this is why i read comics and nothing else
1: i thought it was the the purple man's kids that erased the memory yeah what's that if not ma-
0: Where does purple man's powers come from if not magic and if, before you Got say it. toxic waste the toxic waste is magical uh, but yeah, it was the purple kids who erased everyone's memory. Okay. <laughs> you are, you are actually not, erased. It
1: wasn't, it wasn't a Doctor Strange spell, because I think that was the time before that. That was Spider-Man. Uh, no, was... that was Mephisto. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Marvel Comics, everyone. Everyone's secret identity has been given up and then taken back at least once.
0: One time Tony Stark built a satellite that erased everyone's memory. What I think in the early 2000s or the late 90s I, I had oh to look God. this up but th- there was a satellite involved um, and then the one other thing I want to mention as a strong contender and I saved it for last for um, it's kind of ambiguous is uh, this isn't a Marvel 616 series or even a Marvel superhero series but I have been loving the current Doctor Afro series have you been following this one?
1: are we sure that it's not Marvel 616 um, and not just in a galaxy far far away a long time ago That's a great point. There has been a
0: time when uh, we have brought the uh, Chewbacca once crash landed on Marvel Earth in the 70s, I think. Mm -hmm. But since Disney has made all these purchases, uh, Marvel and Star Wars has not crossed over canonically or otherwise.
1: Mm. Um, See, I always thought every single one of their licensed properties was canon to the Marvel 616 universe, like Conan.
0: Well, Conan has been brought in in a couple of ways explicitly and like interacted with Marvel characters.
1: Oh, that's what you mean.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, I don't know if the listeners feel that Star Wars should be uh, in contention for best Marvel series, but it's published by Marvel, and a lot of the uh, same creative people are involved. Um, this current Dr. Aphra series is uh, not a creative team I was that acquainted with before I read the series. It's written by Alyssa Wong, and uh, the artist is, um, is that Mary Mary Co or Mary Co? This, this Star Wars font is very hard to read. I'm re- looking at the issue itself. I think it's Mary Co Cresta. Um, I know the, the color artist is Rochelle Rosenberg, who I'm familiar with, and uh, Joe Caramanga is
1: on letters, who I'm very familiar with. Um, are you reading
0: this Afra series, Elias?
1: I read the first two issues. I'm behind on a lot of series. I'm forgiven, uh, I'm behind to catch up. On,
0: on stuff too. I, but I will not miss an Afra issue. I love this series. This is all the fun I wanted out of Afra when um, she was introduced, and more fun than either of the previous series.
1: Wow. Oh, in in her solo series.
0: The Kieran Gillen written series, and you know I love Kieran Gillen, and the Cy Spurrier series, which I found to be kind of dreary.
1: It was the same series, he just... He was, I think he was always co-writing it.
0: Uh, the first bunch of arcs... Oh, no, the
1: first arc. Oh, I have a bunch of uh, conspiracy theories about this.
0: Yeah, uh, Kieran Gillen is credited, I think, only on the first arc. Then he continues to be credited for the entire first volume. And I think he was doing plots, and Cy Spurrier was doing scripts. And what proportion, which of them were contributing, I have my whole conspiracy about. And then there's a second volume that's only Spurrier, which I, which is very different in tone than the first volume. Yeah. Um... I think that they're both okay this one I'm raving about I'm just like constantly delighted this is like a, like this would be a great Indiana Jones movie um, and it's also just having like a big lesbian time with like her ex-girlfriend who she went to grad school with as a professor now and she's got a young flirty student <laughs> who's also on a mission with them and they're all betraying each other and I'm just and then there's like another guy who doesn't seem like he's in on the game but it turns out he's the most in on the game. I I
1: love that kind of bullshit. Oh
0: my god, I love it so much. Yeah, it's just like it's the perfect. It's so fun, and it's such a like swashbuckling Star Wars adventure. It's one of my favorite Star Wars comics uh, ever. Love
1: it. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah, real. I I, guess I guess I have to check out the new Doctor Aphra series, and so should you.
0: Yeah, I'm. It it doesn't quite be Daredevil, but it's a strong contender. They had a real close match.
1: All right. I had one more book that I wanted to just touch on because I was shocked that it could have potentially taken the throne away, but it didn't. Uh, And I was catching up on – why am I blanking on his name? I wanted to call him Spurrier. There we go. Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man run. And frequent listeners to this show may know I do not like Nick Spencer's writing very much. I don't particularly like his stuff. His amazing Spider-Man run has been meh to okay for me, yeah, it's
0: been pretty but hideous. this last
1: issue, not this last issue, the issue before the Sins Rising Part One, not the prelude. I think it's issue forty-four. I don't um, know what issue you're talking just, about. It was just it blew me away. It was which I
0: uh, tell tell me more about the issue. I don't remember which issue, you yeah, about. so
1: this this issue was it's basically a spider-Man pity party. <laughs> Peter's sitting in his house crying, so sad, very sad, sad man, sad boy. And he's talking to Mary Jane on the phone, and he's like, I don't know, something's up. something's going on. Uh, I miss you so much. And like it's it's just really sweet and really sad. Uh, and then it turns out that it's all a dream because the kindred has him swallowed up by uh what's it called? By sand and Sin Eater's there. Is I must have Sin missed Eater?
0: this I must have missed this issue.
1: Oh I I found it really good. I really it liked sounds it. great.
0: I I've been liking uh, that more yeah, than you. It's
1: one of one of my favorite issues by um Spencer thus far. Uh, the fir- I like the art in the first half better than the art in the second half. I don't know why they split it. This is another book that sh- that double ships, and I hate that. I hate it so much um, because we've lost a bunch of great artists. Ryan Otley hasn't been on the book in forever. Yeah. Patrick Gleason had got, like, two issues. I haven't seen him mem- anymore. He has an exclusive contract with Marvel, and he hasn't drawn anything. I don't know where they're putting him. So, anyway, my gripes with, with Marvel editorial and the – artist-choosing decisions aside. I really like that issue. That's and...
0: strong praise, because yeah, you're you really... Di- I suggested we read what is famously Spencer's best Marvel work, which is um, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, and you even uh, sneered at that so deep as your uh, yeah. disdain for Spencer. So maybe this will soften you to the idea of reading that, because... Uh,
1: Let's hope.
0: Because uh, I think you'll like Superior Foes a lot.
1: Yeah. I uh, think I'm, I'm interested because it was that good Peter Parker work wasn't Peter Parker as Spider-Man it was just Peter Parker as Human Man. Yeah. And be f- just focusing on that, Spencer captured something really good. And then I mean, he had to ruin it by having Mr. Cackly Centipede Man show up and be all like, "Oh, I'm mysterious and evil mm-hmm. and we don't know shit about him and we're not going to learn shit about him in the next arc." And Classic then my long-term Spidey. problems with with Spencer's plotting here is, is catching up with him. It reminds me of the Clone Saga, and I don't like it.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I don't like it.
0: Well, regardless, that gives our reader, our readers, our listeners who are also our readers, I don't know the difference between ears and eyes this week, but uh, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, that gives you a whole bunch of Marvel books to uh, to peruse at your leisure.
1: Ozim and Anaim. <laughs> Come on. Come on, man. Anaim, um, Yadaim... Aznaim. Aznaim. Um,
0: Elias, if uh, folks really listen, like listening to your dulcet tones or want to read more of your opinions, where might the fine folks find stuff like that?
1: They could find more of my opinions here at multiversitycomics.com. They can read me writing about webcomics every week and writing about Tower of God every other week. Babylon 5 at this point will have wrapped up, so if you would like to read all of my thoughts on Seasons 1-3 through three of Babylon 5, you can check that out. And, you know, past works, shameless plug, shameless plug, shameless plug. You can also find me on Twitter, maybe like once a week, uh, at at Quetzalish, Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H That is Ish. It is like the ancient Aztec god, Kutzkoatl. not exactly. But not really. And where can they find you, Jake?
0: I am also a uh, contributor to uh, MultiversityComics.com. Uh, I am the writer of the Mutant-Versity X-Men column, and clearly I got a lot to say about X-Men and a lot more, <laughs> so if uh, that's what's com- keeping you in and you're not reading that column, you should get on that. Um, I'm on Twitter, where I like to keep things light. You can find me at rambling underscore moose. Uh, if you want to, like, get it into it heavy with me, I guess, uh, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, usually... I, I, I'm mostly there for the jokes. Um, I also don't usually mention this, I usually don't remember to, but uh, this week um, I'm excited to mention it. Um, I'm also a video game reviewer, and you can find my game reviews on cogconnected.com. Um, if you come in by the time this uh, episode is aired, you will get my impressions on Baldur's Gate 3, which is a game that I have been playing, and I it's really cool, and <laughs> I have a lot to say about Dungeons & Dragons in general. Um, and I think that should do it for me. Uh, the last thing to mention is a next uh, episode is going to be our book club episode, right?
1: Yep. Next time we are reading and talking about the entirety of Joss Whedon's astonishing X Men run. While well, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's mm-hmm. X Men astonishing X Men run. That's issues one through twenty four and giants and a giant size special. Uh, it's collected in four trades. If you're looking for that, it should be on Marvel Unlimited. If you have library subscription, if your library is subscribed to Hoopla, you can find it there. Or you can check it out in paperback. Or if you've got the single issues or trades or whatnot from your local comic book store. There are many options. Or
0: if you just want to hear us talk even more about X Men, this is a good one. And you might even hear a special guest.
1: Yeah. We hope to see you there. See you there. Excelsior.